0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number
1: forty-four of Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Redis. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own, and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, in analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. That's the cybersecurity hub at cshub.com. So two words, ladies and gentlemen, two words. Adriana Sanford. <laughs> Adriana crushed it last week on the show. Adriana, if you haven't heard her speak before on the show, she's a cybersecurity legal expert and she's appeared numerous times on this show because, well, when she talks, people tune in and, and by mass. So Adriana appeared on the most listened to Task Force 7 radio episode out of any show being available to the public over a 90-day period. That means her show came on, it was available for 90 days on podcast and replay, and right now... She has the fifth most listened to episode out of the 43 episodes we have done, and the other nine out of 10 episodes have been available for playback at least twice as long. Wow, so she's crushing it for us. She attracts a huge crowd, and of course, we like it when people tune in. I like it. I like when people tune in. That's good. We like it when people tune in to Task Force 7 Radio. Adriana appeared on last week's show to talk about the upcoming California Consumer Privacy Act. Otherwise known as the CCPA, that's another four-letter word in some in some circles, just like the GDPR. Uh, but it's all it's all the buzz right now in the cyber legal world because this privacy law will affect many companies and many consumers in the United States. And the cost of non-compliance, well, you're just going to have to tune in to hear what she says about that. And to top it off, she also spoke about the use of cryptocurrencies to commit nefarious acts and all kinds of things and, and circumvent all kinds of laws. So it was a nice follow-up to our segment, by the way, with Eric Huber the week before. So the two kind of go hand in hand, and I thought it was a great um, sort of one-two punch on cryptocurrencies. And, and Sanford knows her cybersecurity legal business, folks. She's an expert. So you're not going to hear someone break down the CCPA and then the use of cryptocurrencies to circumvent sanctions by the United States like this all in one episode anywhere else. So if you missed it, if you missed last week's show, not to fear. You can listen to it anytime on playback, anytime you want. That's the beauty of this radio show, just like it is. You can listen to it on, on playback, on podcast. And I urge you to go back and take the time to listen because she was great. She's always interesting to listen to. Adriana Sanford on last week's episode. That's episode number 43. Task Force 7 Radio. So how do you listen to last week's episode, you ask? Well, I know you're going to be shocked about this, but I'm going to tell you. You can find TF7 Radio on a total of 9 different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, Eric Huber's favorite station, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at taskforce7radio.com, and, of course, the number one Internet talk radio producer in the world at voiceamerica.com. So all in all, nine different options to get your TF7 radio fixed. We're everywhere, folks. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 radio, you get all your options. Check us out, TF7 radio playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please, please don't forget to subscribe. We love it. When you subscribe so tonight we're gonna have a special guest on the show his name is Alan Espinosa and Alan is the current director of security operations for a company called Island Business Systems a probably held information technology and business consultancy so he brings more than 21 years of cybersecurity and IT experience spanning various companies sectors and industries ranging from nonprofit organizations to global enterprises including Siemens and Google Espinosa has been featured on NBC News regarding ID theft, juice jacking, and ATM skimming, and other personal security concerns. He has written for multiple publications and has presented as a keynote speaker at a number of conferences throughout the country. What's really, really cool about Alan is he currently serves on the board of directors for the InfraGuard National Members Alliance. That's a partnership between the FBI and members of the private sector where he helps lead efforts to protect the 16 critical infrastructures of the United States. So specifically, he is the chairman of the InfraGuard Technology Committee, which recommends and implements technology for the organization and partners with the FBI on their technology roadmaps. So Alan, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much, George. Really appreciate being on. Um, The pressure is definitely on because of Adriana, so I'm hoping I could at least slot behind her in terms of ratings. (laughs) Uh, She's a tough act to follow, but I'm (laughs) I'm sure you got a good shot. Thank you. Thank you very much. George, you know, I really want to thank you first and foremost for your service to our great country. And I'm not just talking about your service through the Secret Service, you know, dating a few years back. But even hosting this program, I see this as serving our country by bringing education and awareness to all. So thank you.
1: I I really appreciate that. I thank you very much. And you know what? I always tell people something they ask. They always say, "Well, when you went to the secret service and you went into the private sector, you know, were you missing that sense of purpose? And I said, you know what? When we go into the private sector and you work for these major fortune 500 companies that are in the critical infrastructure and our critical infrastructure depends on these companies, you're, you're doing something. When you wake up every day, what you do means something. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Look, you, you, I know that you're serving our country in a way that, that, that some of our listeners may, may have never heard about, and that's via InfraGard. So tell us about this program.
2: Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. So InfraGard is a program that was actually started by the FBI back in 1996. It started kind of small, from their Cleveland field office, and it was heavily focused on cyber, really at the time on cyber. And the idea of the program was to collaborate with the private sector, like you just said, you know, the government realized and knows and understands that we really need each other. This isn't just about the government protects the country, but we in the private sector protect our businesses and thus we're protecting the country as well. So started out back in 96, 98, the program was expanded nationwide. So at the national level for the entire FBI. And a little bit after that, it actually took on beyond cyber what are deemed by DHS as a 16 critical infrastructures. I won't necessarily name them all, but let's just say, you know, communications, defense industrial base, healthcare, right? Pretty much unless you just stay and work at home or, or I should say you're retired, you fall, everyone falls into one of the critical infrastructure and it's what makes our great country, you know, sort of move forward. So InfraGard took that on. And uh, has grown since then to modern day to have 57,000 members nationwide. And the way the program works is, uh, and I'll explain in a minute how you join InfraGard, but but once you're in InfraGuard, you're, you're put into one of the 80 chapters that we have around the country. Each of these 80 chapters are aligned with an FBI field office. Um, because we don't do this alone. This is in partnership with the FBI. And so... Um, once once you join, you actually have access to the field office to, you know, information, seminars, various programs that each of the field offices put on. There is some that comes down from the national level in terms of some some, uh, confidential information, sensitive information that the FBI pushes through their secure uh, membership portal. But a lot happens at the chapter level. And the awesome thing is that You get to to join a network of other vetted individuals.
1: So, you know, I was one of the co-founders of the Newark Electronic Crimes Task Force for the Secret Service, and I know how important these public-private partnerships are. So if someone out there who knows me well hears me ask the next question, they're going to be like, George, come on, you know exactly what that means. But it's not for me, it's for our audience. And I want them to know what the benefits are Uh, what the benefits to to being an InfraGuard member?
2: Yeah, you bet. Great question. So uh, in no particular order, number one, as an InfraGuard member, you gain access to the FBI secure managed portal. And what you get there is the FBI provides a whole number of alerts and notifications. This is not classified information. You're You're not an agent, you're not in the government, but it is sensitive information that isn't available to the general public. This isn't something that you can just go online and find somewhere. There's information that they've vetted, so you know this is very trusted information that's going to be relevant to you. It's gonna be relevant to your particular sector, your line of work, and helping you and your company to stay secure or to uh, mitigate threats. Um, You gain access, like I mentioned a moment ago, to a network of vetted members. So these are members that, and I'll go, you know, I'll talk a little bit later about the uh, perhaps how you join, but these are members that uh, have been vetted by the FBI. They've gone through a process, and so you know this that's a great a great sort of a family to join, if you will. Um, and you also, I think more importantly than almost anything, you get to develop a relationship with the local FBI with a real person. So you know, the purpose of the program is not just that you receive emails or bulletins and you're reading alerts and such, but, but part of the purpose of the program is that you are engaged with someone at the ground level at the FBI. So if something does happen, if something happens at your company and you want to report it, you have questions about it, you have someone you could actually pick up the phone and call. You have an FBI agent who's assigned to be the Infraguard coordinator. You pick up the phone and you call that person.
1: It's important to have those relationships in place before something goes bad, right? I mean, that's so key. How does someone join InfraGuard?
2: Sure, so step one is going to the website. So the, the website is InfraGard.org. Now I must say, I must spell it out because there's a letter missing, if you will, so to speak. It's InfraGuard I-N-F-R-A-G-A-R-D. So we dropped off the U and we tend to say because we need you. As a, even though it's a little corny, but it's infragard.org. So www.infragard.org. You go to the website. The, that's the FBI secure website. There's an application that goes straight through the FBI. Um, you need to be at least 18 years of, of age at the time you apply, a U.S. citizen, you agree with some privacy policies and such, and you consent to an FBI security risk assessment and to reassessment, you know, uh, on, periodically by the FBI application goes through it it could take a a few weeks sometimes we've had sometimes surges in membership, so it takes a little bit longer but after a few weeks or so you're then contacted by your local fbi office and you're welcomed you know if you've been accepted you're welcomed into the program as a member uh and like i mentioned earlier each chapter is a little different you know there's some chapters are smaller than others some are bigger some have just different programs happening so it's it's kind of fun you know it's fun that it's not all very cookie cutter and everybody's doing the exact same thing. We have the same mission and we have the same focus and we have the same passion, but we all get to express a little differently, you know, geographically. So that's, uh, that's, that's more or less the, the long and short of uh, joining. And,
1: and so i just say, you know, are applicants subjected to a background check when you say risk security assessment, do you mean a background check?
2: Not a background check, no, I don't. I wanna okay. make a, the clear distinction. An FBI background check, as I'm sure you know from the Secret Service, is a very extensive uh, a process, a very costly one at that. And so, no, this is not a full-on background check. This is the FBI, you know, kind of doing some checks and checking some records, basically, make sure everything's okay there, and, uh, and then getting back to you.
1: All right, so what do you say to those people out there, and this was always a problem uh, when I was in the Secret Service, or I guess a, a, a problem with perception, a lot of people do not want to call law enforcement, whether it's the FBI or the Secret Service or someone else, Customs, whoever. They, they don't want to call law enforcement because they're afraid to you know, air their dirty laundry uh, about a bunch of things. And you know sometimes when these incidents uh, happen, a lot of things come out. So they need a trustworthy partner and they need someone they can trust, someone that has their best interest in mind as a victim and sometimes they doubt law enforcement. They, they, they're very hesitant to uh, bring any of their problems to the FBI, or the Secret Service. What would you say to those people?
2: Yeah, and I, I, first of all, I would say I completely understand. So, you know, I don't, uh, just because in a sense, I'm a poster boy for this program. I understand. I understand some of the fears and some of the concerns. Here's what I can tell you. You know, uh, number one, the, the FBI is not there to enforce compliance regulations or to report on violations, right? So let's just say you had an incident and you called the FBI to come in and take a look. They're gonna come in and they are the Federal Bureau of Investigation and they're gonna do exactly that. They're going to investigate. That's what they're there for. They're there to uh, perhaps look in places that you didn't know to look or maybe you don't have access to look. And so they're coming to partner with you. They're not not coming as an adversary to try and, and fix your company or tell you what processes to run and such. Um, And so they're, they're really there, like you said a moment ago, they're there as a trusted partner, if you will.
1: Right, I know a lot of people don't really understand when all this information may become public. Sometimes if there's court proceedings through discovery, some things can be made public, but outside of that, I, I don't. the Law enforcement's not in the in the business of releasing any kind of information you tell them in an investigation, uh, unless it's obviously some you know, some type of missing child or something like that. When they as, as they do, but in these in these technology investigations, it's really a totally different story. And it is about trust. It's about building those relationships. It's about trust. It's it's about having those contacts in place, and so that when something goes wrong, you have someone to call that you know. Uh, will be there for you. Have your best interest in mind. Now, I, I knew you were coming on the show, obviously. So I, you know, Googled uh, InfraGuard and I see that there's this conference coming up in Las Vegas. What's that all about?
2: Yeah. So we, so InfraGard, we're putting on a third annual national conference, and um, we're actually doing it in conjunction with ASIS. So we partner with another okay. big boy, if you will, in security and national, you know, international actually organization. Um, we're doing in Las Vegas last week of September, September 23rd through the 27th. We have an amazing, and I mean, amazing lineup of speakers. It would be even more amazing if I was speaking, but that was last year. I'm not speaking this year, but it is pretty amazing. <laughs> Maybe we should get Andrea to come down and speak. Actually, not, I think about it, I <laughs> will pump it up even more, but seriously, yeah, you have to check it out. We have an amazing lineup of speakers, not to mention quite honestly, that our partners in ASIS. They also have an amazing lineup of speakers. So you could come and get the best of both worlds. But, you know, we're going to have great presentation, great speakers from you know federal government, private sector, really subject matter experts, leaders, and those that, could, that are really going to help us to provide value to our businesses. Um, I have to tell you about one specific thing we have that I think, especially being originally from New Jersey, and I'm going to leave it at that, is really cool. Okay. <laughs> And that's that we're having a special InfraGuard night, a special dinner, and we're doing it at the mob museum. Okay, and that's it, <laughs> won't say anything else. We, George, we thought that might be like a special touch, right? Being that, you know, the FBI has a history, if you will. Right, uh, right. With the mob, just a little special touch there. But, um, you know, if you want more information, I won't, I won't go on and bore you with all the data there, but if you want to register, or you just want to read more about it. We have our InfraGuard national website, and that's InfraGard, spelled again without the U, the word national.org. So go take a look at that site. That's where you could read more about, you know, just kind of what we're up to as the National InfraGard Members Alliance, which is, you know, the, the body, if you will, the 501c3 that oversees the, the chapters. And that's where I'm a board member. So take a look at the site, read more about the, the conference. I'd love to see you there. If you see me there, give me a high five. Uh, love to meet you as well.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So, Alan, we're going to take a little time to hear from our sponsors, but we'll be right back to talk some more shop in just a few minutes. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. For any inquiries sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications, please email me directly at George. Readis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at task, force 7, That's at task force 7 That's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task 47 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task 47 7. Get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, a member of the Board of Directors for Infraguard, Alan Espinosa. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash tf7 to request a look at Inkman's soar live in action.
0: Account takeover is the fastest-growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com.
1: I'm here with our special guest, the director of security operations for online business systems, Alan Espinosa. So Alan, let's talk about your day job. We were talking about InfraGuard in the first segment and aside from your work with InfraGuard, I know that you recently started a new role. So there was a lot of great opportunities out there in the DFW area. What led you to this particular role?
2: Yeah, George, you know, you're right. There are a lot of great opportunities. This area is just exploding. The growth is amazing. Um, You know, a lot of great companies out there, great opportunities. I came across this opportunity with online business systems and I just couldn't ignore it. Um, number one, the company's been around for 32 years. If you're in IT, at least in my experience, if you're in IT and, the comp- and, and you've been around as a company for 32 years, it's either because you've really learned how to pivot and be successful, or in some cases, it's because you're the only person in the company, as I have felt. In this case, it's not. <laughs> so this <it> wasn't <laughs> one person um and more importantly to be frank is my managing director patrick hayes uh he's really a pioneer in cybersecurity, and i won't rattle off his resume but he's just an amazing guy and what attracted me more than anything was you know just sitting and talking with him and realizing wow this is someone i could work for that really believes in you that really believes in empowering his uh his staff and and investing in them and doing the right thing by the customer. And I thought, wow, this is crazy. This is just, I have to jump on this. And so I did.
1: So, you know, when I talk to you, first of all, it's nice when you got a good manager, right? You can't put a price on the person you work for. And I, you know, I tell that a lot of times when people are you know, mentoring people and they ask me about jobs and, and what they're doing, the positions and the roles and the responsibilities they have in the, in the person that they're going to work for, right? It's important. It's very, very important. And look, as, as I've gotten to know you over the last few weeks, it sounds to me like you're a very you're a people person. You're very people focused, right? You know, I, I even know you're, what you're a certified life career coach, right? Yeah, that's correct. I am. Right? And you're, you're mentioned in the way you talk about, your your, your your boss and your managing director. What's your leadership style or what can you share with our listeners about how do you lead your teams?
2: Absolutely. So I like to say my leadership style is to uh, equip, empower, and encourage. And so I just think that You know, the days are gone, are long gone, of people sitting in a cube and you just told them, you know, gave them an assignment to do and they just sat there and did this one thing. You know, those days are gone and I'm glad, very glad for that. Um, But what I have seen is there is more and more empowerment. I don't see a lot of equipping, though, and I see even less sort of encouraging. So my approach, and I think this is true of of online business systems as well, is that, you know, Really, first, equipping, making sure that we're not sending people off, or I'm not sending my, my personnel, my staff off to do something that they don't have the skills to do, you know, or that they don't have the, what it takes to perhaps get it done, you know, or to learn it. Uh, that's number one. So that's kind of the equipping part. Second is empowering, is, you know, not, not standing over the person, right? Micromanaging or whatever else, but saying, hey, I believe in you. And George, I'm sure you know this from your own career. It does wonders for a person. When you, when you believe in them and you empower them, all of a sudden they shine. They do things you never thought they would do. And more importantly, they do things they never thought they would do. Um, and lastly, encouraging. I think that, you know, as, as they get engaged in, in whatever they're doing, you know, just continuing to encourage. I have one-on-ones with my staff every two weeks, you know, at least, at minimum. And just encouraging, letting them know, not just at the one-on-ones, but, you know, just in passing and talking to them. That, you know, specific feedback, they're doing a good job at how that is and why that is and what that looks like. So I would say it's kind of my leadership style.
1: So communication, obviously a big factor of your leadership style. Do you think in technology, in the broader technology sector, and even in the cybersecurity space specifically, that most managers take on that leadership style?
2: I can't say they do. (laughs) Yeah, I, I... you know, I don't want to talk about bad about folks, but I, I can't say they do, you know, and, and I think a lot of folks mean well. And I think a lot of folks, they just don't, don't necessarily see that. But especially, in, I would say in info security, you know, and in IT in general, you're so focused on the technology, right? right. That becomes the focus. And we, to some degree, lose focus about the people and investing in them. I'm, I'm not afraid, actually, to lose my employees. I've told them that. I told them that the first day I met them. I said, I you know, of course we're here to do a job, right? But and we want to do that well. But I've told them I'm happy for you for you to grow, and and you know I'd hate to lose you, of course, but I'd love for you to go to grow and take on a new opportunity to give, you know that that achieve your dreams, go for it, and I'm going to back them up. I'm going to invest in them as much as I can, even knowing that again we're in IT, right? You know people tend to switch jobs. What is it now? Every you know two years or so. It happens, but um, yeah, I
1: mean, like, like when you're talking about mobility, especially the way I like to look at it, if you have somebody that worked for you, and they're getting ready after a couple of years to move on to another job that may be more challenging <clears throat> for them and might provide them more diverse opportunities in terms of advancing their skill set. The way I look at it, that's a success in in, in my mind. That's a a success. That's a representative of you as a leader preparing that person for the next step in their career. And I think some people don't look at it that way they become offended. So, you know, how could you possibly leave me? Also, hold on a second. You know, the person's not going to stay there forever. I mean, you know, when you you think about someone's career, um, a lot of times, especially when we put together programs. Uh, for, for people coming out of college. And we put specific programs together in corporations across America for kids who come out of college and then stay in a certain job only a certain period of time and then move to another one for like their first, you know, few years. And they keep moving around and gaining that, that diverse experience because they become such a valuable employee. And then they're really difficult to keep. That's the bad part. But they become such a valuable employee. And that's key. And I think that, you know, it's essential that we have uh, good leaders with with good communication skills and and uh, and and an, and an understanding of what these uh, people are going through. So, how do you how do you think we as cybersecurity leaders can invest in the next generation?
2: Well, I'll tell you. I first of all, I'll say that I I think there are a lot of great infosec schools and programs out there. There really are. I know there are here locally for me, but. The, the question that I that I ask often is, are they teaching soft skills? You know, the technical skills, a lot of great books written, right? The internet is filled with lots of great information. I, I have, you know, I have one of my security analysts that's, he's straight out of high school, <laughs> just so you know, straight, literally straight out of high school. He just graduated. He's brilliant and has a, a ton of, of knowledge. And so, you know, there are ways of acquiring that knowledge, but the soft skills. So. Um, I don't know necessarily that the schools are teaching soft skills whether at all or adequately. So I think our single, personally, my, our single biggest investment in the next generation is to mentor them, number one, not hand them a book, not tell them go to some website and watch the video, although those can be very good and I'm not dogging them because they can, but to mentor them, to have the one-on-one and in particular to mentor them on the soft skills. Like you just said a moment ago, communication, <laughs> which is where the biggest one okay uh presentation uh public speaking just I, to me it kind of really all boils down to communication you know and, and modeling it for them and helping them develop those communication skills that as i tell my own staff or is what i call the differentiator when i sit down with my guys my team and we've talked about their professional development i always say to them The differentiator for you is not necessarily going to be your technical skills, because at some point there are gonna be a lot of very talented people, and maybe even an excess at some point in the future. It's certainly not now, but at some point. But the differentiator is going to be the soft skills. Can you effectively communicate? Can you communicate, as I have found through my 20 plus years in IT, can you communicate with the the C-level, right? They don't speak tech. They speak business. Can you talk to them in business and translate that back to tech?
1: You know, so this is so true. When you talk about communication skills and social skills, like interpersonal skills, I mean, they could be the differentiator because some people are so technical and they're so into the bits and the bytes. And if you have, you know, two people that are equally uh, technically capable, these, this communication skill can be the differentiator. Between maybe getting an, a a job or maybe getting a promotion, especially when you have influence and persuasion and negotiation skills, those types of soft skills can be very very um, convincing. And so, what what, what would you say? Cause you to want to invest in and give opportunities to others. Like, what is it for me? I got to tell you. I mean, I like to do it. It's kind of like selfish. Like, it it makes me feel good. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I hate to say it. It's I'm it's a little bit selfish on my part. I like to do it because it makes me feel good. Everybody has a different motivation. What 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 about you?
2: Sure. Well, agreed. I have to agree. It does. It does feel really good. Uh, I'll tell you a really quick story because I am known to tell. I'm Cuban, so I tell very long stories. But I promise this won't be quick. Uh. So, I went from being a bank teller. Uh, and there's a, a lot behind this, but being a bank teller to getting an interview thanks to a friend at a small consulting company in New York City. And showed up to the interview with the CEO, gave him my resume where I had, I mean, I really had, I had zero, zero IT experience, okay? Other than playing with my Windows 95 machine and 3.11. And so I hand this gentleman my resume and I have on their, you know, Microsoft Office suite. And at the time, Microsoft Access was like the thing. You know, everybody was hiring for that, if you recall, was the thing, right? right? And I had on there that I knew access. George, I knew how to click on the button to with the wizard to create something in access using the wizard. That was the access that I had. so long story short is I'm sitting there in the interview, Gentleman, smart guy, looks at me and he says to me, You don't really know this, do you? <laughs> and and I thought, Oh crap, <laughs> this guy figured me out. And I just looked at him and I said, You know what, sir? I don't actually. And he said, I like you. You communicate well. I know I need people here that are going to be able to talk to end users. This was for a help desk, you know, pure entry level job. And he hired me. And it's unbelievable. I look back at that and think that's unreal. This guy, I I lied to his face, which I don't recommend, by the way. And I also don't do it (laughs) for the record. okay. But I lied to his face and, and the guy gave me an opportunity because he saw something in me. And, man, that just fired me up. And I just feel like, you know, I want to do the same thing. I want to to see in people, you know, maybe what they don't see in themselves. And I want to give them that opportunity. And it it completely changed my life, as you can imagine. I'm here, right? I'm not at the bank anymore or, or doing whatever else. I'm here. And so it's just, yeah, that's what really motivated me.
1: Alan, how, how do we get? We're talking about talent here. We're talking about the future generation. How do we attract more minorities into this space? There's so many opportunities. There's hundreds and thousands of jobs open in cybersecurity. How do we go about doing that? A lot of people look to you for inspiration.
2: Oh, great point, George. And and coincidentally, I'm actually looking for bilingual speakers in my case. But that, um, uh, you know, I I, th- I think it's I think it's investing in the communities. You know, um, I there again, there, there, we think about, you know, maybe sometimes even so sort of the so lower socioeconomic communities and such. And, and we kind of miss out on the, on the science, technology and, and, you know, kind of STEM, right? We right. miss out on that with those communities. And I'm not an education expert, but I really think it's, it's starting at the ground level, it's starting at, at the schools. And again, you know, through the teachers, through the programs of the schools, through the programs at neighborhoods, um, you know, conveying and making a conveying to, to them to, the, to the, the children, that there are and there will be opportunities for them in technology. And that regardless of where their grades are today, I think that's I won't get into that. I think I remember from my own upbringing, I was a horrible <laughs> student. Okay. I mean, horrible student. And, and I, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back. But I want to say, hey, I did okay. Let's just put it that way. I did right. all right. So I think it's investing in them. And, you know, if I may say, I you know actually my my wife and I started a are, are in the process of starting a nonprofit by the name of PETALS, which stands for providing essential tools and life services to actually reach out to those communities. You know we have a number of things in 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 store there, and someday later I think we'll we can talk more about that. but you know part of it will be aside from you know teaching English, which is really important um, in those communities, but but talking about technology and implement bringing the technology to them, um, and I think that, I think it's awesome. I actually think that, you know, at least here, uh, North Texas, I've seeing schools, uh, bring on more and more minorities and I'm excited about, you know, about, well, what they're doing with that.
1: That's great. Do you have a website for that organization yet? Or are you just in it? It's in its infancy right now.
2: It's in its infancy. I just, we just created the board of directors going for an advisory board soon, but in its infancy, but big dreams, but I'll be back with it. I promise.
1: Well, anyway, and then I can help out with that. You let me know. This is a passion of mine. And I love the stuff and, and I love getting out there with the kids in the, in the communities. And I think you're right That the bottom line. It's incumbent upon us to get out there to make sure that we explain what the opportunities are and help these kids build a roadmap to get there. You know, how do you get, how are you going to get there? And how do you know you're there when you're there? Right. That, that type of thing. So, mm-hmm. simple steps. So look, Alan, I got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors But don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from Alan Espinosa after these short messages. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman's SOAR live in action
0: account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation many companies think they're protected they believe using a password manager multi-factor authentication behavior-based technology password rotations or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com.
1: I'm back with our special guest, the Director of Security Operations for Online Business Systems, Alan Espinosa. All right, Alan, we're back and it's time to rock it. Let's talk about some real cybersecurity topics here. And that's the threats that we face every day. People like to hear about this, uh, cybersecurity professionals especially. What are your top cybersecurity concerns minus what I've heard you call FUD? (laughs) What is FUD? What, What exactly does FUD stand for?
2: Yeah, well, some people define as fear, uncertainty, and, and either doubt or disinformation. But FUD is, FUD is uh, you know, in my opinion, a marketing, <laughs> a marketing scheme, if you will. I like to get down to it. So, in no particular order, I would start with consumer products, or to use the buzzword, IoT, right, Internet of Things. You know, people are, are people are going to the store and buying whatever it is, a Wi-Fi thermostat, or an outlet, etc. They're not. Engineers, okay? They're not cybersecurity experts or engineers, nor should they be. These should be items that they're able to plug into their systems and, and use it like an appliance, right? I mean, you and I, we don't, well, I don't know about you, man, but I don't fix cars, but I drive them, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? You know? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not interested in fixing cars either. So, you know, I mean, we could talk about this like all day long because, it, it, of course, as you know, it, it starts with the manufacturers, right? They're just so lackadaisical with their security, as we've seen with, you know, a number of incidents that have happened where all of a sudden we find out that there's one chip manufacturer in China that put the same username and password, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the chip for the whole world, right? Uh, potentially millions of devices. It's, it's incredible. Um, but, you know, it, to me, it's, it's really, that's one of the main concerns because at the end of the day, it's, it's not about a consumer, let's say at home that you know, um, their Wi-Fi goes berserk because it's been breached or hacked, as people like to call it, in some way, shape, or form. But it's really about how it could be weaponized, and that's what concerns me. Yeah, I'm concerned about people, and I don't want them to suffer, but with hot air you know, when it's cold or whatever, or right. it's, when it's hot, right? But it could be weaponized, and we saw that with the DYN attack you know, not long ago, well, I guess a couple of years ago at this point, where IoT devices were weaponized. You know, and in mass, as you know, they you, they bring them into a botnet, and and bang, and they have you know weapons all across, spread out all across the world, uh, with unknowing victims, if you will, you know, or co-conspirators that are not aware.
1: Yeah, do you think so, IoT is the number one cybersecurity concern right now?
2: Man, uh, it's hard to say. I, I I think it's up there. I, I put it up there. I personally mm-hmm. put it up there. Uh, next to some
1: others. <laughs> yeah, I no, no, Chris Kenworthy was saying IoT was a big concern too. I think, I think uh, everybody would be in agreement that this type of emergent technology uh, can, can be troublesome. <laughs> you know, so. because people might not have been thinking about security when they were building uh, some of these technologies, right? Right,
2: correct, yeah. And, and,
1: what, what, yeah. Go ahead, what other ones are we talking about here? What <laughs> other ones do you think top your list?
2: Top, well, account hijacking tops my list for sure, because I think it's just so easy, to be frank. I've done, I've done some social engineering where I've called companies and posed as the IT guy. All right, and, take it
1: easy here. I was <laughs> get everybody indicted on this show.
2: No, no, no. This, this was a paid engagement. Sorry. Oh, all right, all right. Disclaimer. You can't see it because we're on the radio, but it's a disclaimer. Paid engagement. <laughs> George, you'd, you'd be surprised, and I, and I wonder how much of your audience would be surprised to find How many corporations aren't using multi-factor authentication where I walk in and there they are with their email system, with their domain, with whatever, not using MFA, right? Which is so easy to implement. And, and even there, I mean, I would take it a a, a step further. So that's, it's great to implement, you know, multi-factor authentication, but as we've read from Krebs and others, you know, recently about SIM card takeover, you know, where, you, you know, a nefarious actor calls your wireless carrier or goes into a, a sort of what your wireless carrier store and you know, gives some information that they've been able to fish out about you. And in some cases are successful getting the SIM card, you know, transferred to them or swapped, uh, you know, swapping the SIM card, uh, the number to a different SIM card that they own. And now all of a sudden with multi-factor, at least where SMS is involved in particular, now they have access. <laughs> they have mm-hmm. access to your multi-factor code. Um, it's crazy. I'll tell you what I want to push for, really, you know. And what I'm going to start telling customers myself and clients is, you know, enterprise staff, if they use if if they use MFA in conjunction with S M S right to receive the code, uh, their staff should be required required. It should be company policy that they must contact their wireless carrier and add some kind of a verbal password, which I have on my account, you know, and such. Because again, it's kind of, it becomes the weakest link. It's like you, you, you rest, you sit back and say, well, we have multi-factor, hey, we're safe. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> might, not might. necessarily. Um, you know, it, it oftentimes, as you know, it kind of boils down to what I call sort of the weakest link. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll give you a real quick example of something without going into a lot of detail. But, you know, I came across a company that, that I mean, nefarious actors did all sorts of damage to them because they gained access to their domain domain name registration right and they have the company actually has great security and actually great processes too however the domain name as you, as we know when you register it you don't you can't you're not supposed to at least use the same domain right that's as the email address that you're registering for that you know for right. that domain. You have to use something else. So a lot of people will go and use the Hotmail the Gmail the whatever account, right? Well, right. they did, that's what they did, and it makes sense. I do the same thing with my domains. However, they didn't secure that account. It didn't have MFA, <laughs> okay? So you have a Gmail account without MFA, and as you can imagine what happened after that, right? Uh, they were able to socially engineer them, and next thing you know, they have access to the domain name registration, which in a sense gives you access to DNS, right? Uh, depending on the configuration, you know, you could repoint the DNS and it, it was, it was, it was a bad time for them. Let's just put it that way.
1: So do you think that, you know, people are, are the weakest linked in technology right now? i you know, we discussed this a few times in past episodes. What's your thoughts? What'd you say?
2: Ah, uh, you know, I, 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 I... I kind of hate saying that because people tend to look at me, especially that I'm in technology, and they think, oh, you're so, you're so full of yourself. You think we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> but in a sense, yes, yeah. yes, in that you can throw all the tech you want. You could spend the hundreds of thousands and millions, for that matter, of money on great tech. The truth is there really is great tech out there that I'm finding more and more But at the end of the day, it does boil down to, as we say, the person sitting in the chair behind the keyboard, oftentimes. But I want to say this, and I want to be clear. I don't blame them. You know, so I, I, yes, I'll agree it's, it's the weakest link, if you will, but I don't blame them. I don't think everybody in a corporation should be a cybersecurity expert or worried about, you know, clicking on links. But unfortunately, that's where we're at. And we need them. We need them. They're part of the, they, people... Are a part of our security posture, if you will. You need to really consider them and take it very seriously, and they have to absolutely be a plan, a part of your security plan.
1: So we're talking about social engineering. How about business email compromises? I mean, aside from oh. account hijacking and account takeovers, but you know that yeah. seems to be a—that's a big problem, right? I mean, you just oh. talked about it a little bit with the domain registration, but I mean, once somebody gets in, then they can. Move and you know then you could, then then the concern is lateral movement right and, and escal, uh, escalation of privileges and so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, bus- I mean business email compromises. It's am- it really is amazing, and it's you know for for those that may not be familiar with it, it's it's in particular where uh, you know you're, the nefarious actors will send an email. And in, in some way, shape, or form, sometimes they break into your system and they actually send an email to someone in accounting from your own system, so it's very legitimate looking. Other times, they'll go buy a domain. So you know, let's say your I don't know your do, domain was georgeredis or right? taskforce radio seven taskforce seven radiocom They'll go buy taskforce radio seven c. OM I'm making that up it's not a real domain but I'm making that up right yeah. and then send an email to someone there at task force radio someone that they've first of all they've done their homework the days of criminals being dumb although there, there are many that are and I'm grateful for them because they get caught right but the day that or that criminals are you know are, are uh, so dumb that they're gone those days are gone and so they're very smart now they do the reconnaissance mostly through the internet. Through, the, through social networks in particular. And so they're able to, and I'll, I'll give you, a, you know, an example, I'll make this one up, but you know, George, you, you go out to Jamaica with your family for, you know, for some, uh, some uh, vacation time. They see that you posted on Facebook, hey, I'm in Jamaica, or maybe your kids did or whatever. And they'll follow up with the person in, in your accounting department and say, with an email that looks like it's coming from you, or maybe it is, if they've been able to breach your system, a compromise your email system. And they'll reach so-and-so at your accounting department and say, hey, this is George. I'm in Jamaica. I don't have much time. I need you to wire $10,000 to this bank account. Do it ASAP. Hey, George, you're the CEO. Who's going to argue with you, right? And they know you're in Jamaica, so that kind of, you know, sort of vetting it a little bit, it seems to to match. And there goes the money out the door to typically, by the way, as I'm sure you know, terrorist organizations, unfortunately, not just criminals, which is bad. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but, all kinds of bad things and the money goes yeah, to all kinds of bad yeah. stuff, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, I really, you know, I think that is definitely a problem. There's all kinds of problems, in my opinion, with uh, business email compromises because then someone can use that email to send spear phishing attacks yeah. and then really get into the and cause some real damage. I mean, you know, obviously yeah. moving money is real damage, but when you start bringing down huge systems and huge critical systems that companies depend on for revenue streams, that could be really crippling, especially when if you if, if you want to do, be destructive and erase information, I mean that's even worse if they can't get it back that's a really big problem yeah. um so how about uh, how about sim how about you know event management and in crisis management how are you know how do you think people are preparing for that? are people wargaming the way they should? Do they have their cert teams ready as a process in place i mean practice 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 right I mean what do you think <laughs>
2: I think some people are preparing mostly or not. And not only that, but I think, you know, when it comes to security information and event management, I would say most people aren't even doing the blocking and tackling well, you know? So, and I get this a lot because this is, this is what we do at online business. Well, part of what we do at online business systems in particular, uh, my team where I manage the security operations center, this is what they sit there and do all day. And I have found with folks as I, as I speak with them and various corporations of all sizes that, they're just inundated with data. You know, they, they talk a lot about, it. they want artificial intelligence, right? and big data. There's a lot, they have a long list of buzzwords that they want. They want to use in technology. And that's great. I mean, those, again, good tools, but are you getting the basics down? Uh, you know, what we call blocking, basic blocking and tackling. And I found they often aren't, you know? And we, so I could tell you our approach is, you know, we go in there and we, fi- we figure out, okay, well, we need to really identify assets, right? Companies, you know, depending on the size, they can have thousands of, of you know, technology assets that are throwing data at the system, you know, at the monitoring system. Right. So first it's, you know, let's identify which, are the ones, which ones really are the most meaningful to you, right? Let's, tell, let's, let's look at your risk assessment. Let's, let's assign a risk score <laughs> to these assets. You know, and let's I feel like we out. could talk
1: about incident response and event management for a whole show.
2: We can. I mean, there's so much involved. <laughs> yeah. here.
1: There's so much involved here, you know, especially with the automation of some of these events. I mean, speed is the key. Speed is the key. I mean, our, our adversaries are able to move faster than us right now, and that's not good. We've got to close that gap as much as possible. And I think in a lot of that, you know, I think process is king. You know, there's no magic button, there's no technology that's going to save the day. Process is king. And I think you can get that down Then you can align the technology to the process. But automation, uh, robotics, uh, you know, speed is definitely key. And um, I think if, if, if organizations aren't looking to that, if they aren't testing, if they aren't war gaming, it, you know, once something happens, it's, you know, it's, it's too late after that. I mean, they're going to have a really bad, a bad day. It just came a really, really bad day. Hmm. Um, One more thing I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about ransomware. I mean, FBI just came out, you know, a couple episodes, and the FBI came out and said that ransomware just keeps going up. The incidents uh, are are just sort of, they just keep going up and up. Are
2: people paying the ransom, do you think? Yeah, well, unfortunately, some people are, Uh, (laughs) or I to say a lot of people are.
1: No, no, the FBI recommends not to, right? They specifically recommend not to pay the ransom, right?
2: That's correct. And I recommend the same, not to pay the ransom. Um, you know, truth of the matter there real quick is number one here, you're, you're giving your money to a criminal. Okay. Or maybe to a terrorist organization. Number two, a lot of times you don't get your data back. <laughs> so it's yeah. not even a guarantee. Um, and it's funny that we're bringing this up today. It's very timely because, uh, one of Apple's uh, main suppliers of semiconductors TSMC just suffered a want to cry attack significant. It halted production. And so, um, we're going to see losses there in, in, in the millions, the triple digit millions, I'm pretty sure at the end of the day. So yeah, ransomware is huge. Uh, I don't think it's going anywhere. Cause it's, it's just a, a sort of a, a an easy, if you will, way to, you know, to get money out of people and to cripple businesses, hospitals, you know, all sorts of businesses alike. Um, and it's, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one because again, it goes back, like you just said a moment ago process, right. And we could, Everything we've talked about today—it boils down a lot to process with people, not just the technology process, but the people process. You know, and so it's it's vigilance, it's education, it's all of that. But um, yeah, ransomware—you know—very scary. You know, very scary. Um, you know it, it's it's still very challenging to prevent. Um, and what I would say, what I do say, indeed, to clients and and, and my own circle is. Uh, do everything you can to prevent it. I always believe in it. Lock your front door with all the stinking locks, locks you can buy. That's great. But be prepared for the break-in. Okay? Be prepared. And what I find amazing is, with particularly with ransomware, is that um, a lot of the times uh, companies are held hostage because they don't have good backups. So their data is, being, is locked up, and they just don't have good backups. Folks, backups, they're not that expensive. It's not hard. Per se, to, to take care of
1: backups. So. I mean, some companies that don't have a proper recovery and resilience plan, they don't have the backups, and the only way to get to get the information back is is, is to pay these people. That's You're just in a really tough spot because, like you said, you're paying criminals. Where's that money going? I mean, the money's going to not a good cause, right? Obviously, there's all kinds of nefarious things we can name. We can list a whole bunch of things, but it's just uh, it's just not a good situation. So I guess the, the, the you should think about it. The problem is now. And to have the resiliency plan in place, get your backups ready. And then, you know, the time it takes to restore everything is also key. The time it takes to recovery sure. uh, is, is important, too. It can't take forever. Your business suffers, uh, you know, so much, and then you're in trouble again. But, Alan, look, it was an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on. I hope you come back often.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you. Indeed, an honor and privilege for me, too. Thank you, George.
1: Hey, and a big shout-out to all the InfraGuard members out there. Keep fighting the good fight. We appreciate all, you, all of you and um, also appreciate the FBI of course. and uh, you know this is a good cause you know look up the websites that Alan uh, sent. Or, and mentioned, and uh, all the information's there, especially about that conference coming up in Las Vegas. It sounds like it's a good time. So, okay, folks, we run out of time once again, and that, that seemed fast. I think they're going quicker and quicker these days. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners that you can visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Redis, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel.